Should Dwayne Brown go right back into the starting lineup when he's healthy? We'll talk about it today on Locked On Jets. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome. This is the Lockdown Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Wednesday, October 25th, 2023, and I'm your host, John B. from GangGreenNation.com. Thanking you so much for making the show your first listen or first watch every day. Subscribe to the show for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll get new episodes as soon as they're posted. If you enjoy the show and are listening on a podcast source, please give it a five-star review. If you enjoy the show and are watching on YouTube, please give this, this episode a big thumbs up. These things help us out and help other Jets fans find the podcast. Today's episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Today we have our weekly mailbag show. Each Wednesday we try and do a mailbag with listener questions. Let's begin with a question about the Jets' offensive line. John, Dwayne Brown is eligible to come off injured reserve this week. We're not sure whether he's going to play or not. The Jets could activate him. Do you think he should reclaim his position at left tackle given the improvement of the offensive line since he went out of the lineup? Now, that's a great question, and my answer to this question might be different if everybody was still healthy on the offensive line. You know, we could talk about Joe Tipman, who may or may not be ready to go on Sunday. We'll wait to see what Robert Sala has to say today. Uh, but I think my answer would definitely be different if Elijah Vera Tucker was still healthy, because I do think that the reconfigured offensive line after Brown left the lineup uh, prior to week three was an upgrade. and. If you've been following this podcast for months, you know that I was not a big fan of bringing Dwayne Brown back. In fact, you could even go back early last offseason. I did a show where I went through some of the potential Jets cap casualties, and there were literally two players where I said, you know what, These, this is an easy decision. One was Braxton Berrios, who, of course, was cut, and the other was Dwayne Brown, where I felt like he was an obvious guy to cut. I felt like counting on him at 38 years of age, coming off a season where he was already banged up and he was going to have to head into an offseason where he was recovering from a serious injury, which I'm not sure we knew the extent of heading into the offseason, how seriously injured he was. It just felt to me like it was a bad idea depending on him. And through the first two weeks of the season, it certainly looked like a bad idea. I, I don't want to disrespect Dwayne Brown, who's had a great career in the NFL and who, quite frankly, did not need to sign with the Jets last year. You have to remember that at the point Dwayne Brown signed last year, the Jets were still viewed as a team that was going to be at the bottom of the NFL. They were coming off all those bad years. You know, the Adam Gase era was not that far in the rearview mirror. There really were not great reasons to sign with the Jets if you were Dwayne Brown. He's he, again, he had a great career. Um, you know, he, he could have retired, and he decided to come to the Jets. Not only that, but it would have been easy for him to just collect a paycheck after he got injured, you know, shortly after signing. He came back and played hurt through much of the season and gave the Jets credible tackle play in a season where they were really decimated by injury at the tackle position. So I want to convey my appreciation to what Dwayne Brown did last year. But the fact of the matter was that it was always going to be a lot to ask him to play well this year at 38 years of age. I mean, these 38 year old left tackles, they're not that many in the NFL. I know a couple of years ago, Andrew Whitworth, they won the Super Bowl with the Rams, but you know, that, that's pretty old for any player, much less, much less a guy playing the left tackle position. 
But the problem is now the Jets are so injured that once again, they may not have a choice. And I don't love doing this because once again, it's going to require you sliding Mackay Becton over to right tackle. And, you know, I don't love the idea of Becton always going back and forth. I mean, look, he's a pro. He's going to have to deal with it. And he's got experience playing both spots. But I do feel like Becton has maybe stabilized things a little bit at the, the left tackle position. He's not a great left tackle. He's certainly, certainly not having a Pro Bowl caliber season. But I think he has been, number one, an upgrade on Dwayne Brown. And number two, getting more comfortable each week. But I, I don't know what you do across from him. You know, if you leave Becton at left tackle, I mean, Brown hasn't played right tackle in his whole career, essentially. So you'd be asking Brown to kind of change positions. And I know, again, he's a professional. He should be able to do it. But everything's different. You know, you're just kind of reversing things, moving from left tackle to right tackle. And I feel like a younger guy who's not as established at left tackle, but also a younger guy in Becton who has already moved back and forth, who's got ample experience at right tackle. I feel like if you put Brown back into the lineup, you kind of have to move Becton back to right tackle. It's not the greatest situation, especially if you're looking past the season, because what do you do? Brown's certainly not going to be back with the Jets in 2024. And Becton's kind of up in the air, and we know he wants to play left tackle. So it might make him less likely to come back if you want to bring him back. But the Jets have to win games right now. Right now, they're in the business of winning football games. So they have to find their best alignment. And you know, I don't know if Max Mitchell is really the answer. If Max Mitchell, you know, if Brown has to sit out another week or two and Max Mitchell plays really well then maybe you could talk yourself into leaving things as is. But, you know, that's a lot to ask. And, you know, I think the question is, are you a better offensive line with Dwayne Brown at left tackle and Mekhi Becton at right tackle? Or are you a better offensive line with Mekhi Becton at left tackle and Max Mitchell at right tackle? Even in Dwayne Brown's compromised state, even in his advanced age, I may go with Brown at left tackle, Becton at right tackle. It's, it's not an easy call, and it's certainly not an ideal choice. I don't think the Jets did a great job this offseason. I, I still can't believe they went into the season with Brown as your plan A at left tackle. But what's done is done. And, you know, they got to make the call. And at this point, Brown might be their best option. I don't love it. You know, I certainly am not a big fan of depending this much on Dwayne Brown. But I think it's kind of the spot the Jets are in. Next question also about the offensive line. John, can you comment as to why you think offensive line play around the NFL is so atrocious? Not only are offensive lines getting dominated, but these guys are also getting injured. Does the NFL Rules Committee need to look at some things to level the playing field? This seems to be a major factor as to why scoring across the NFL is down so far in 2023. Well, I think a lot of it goes back to development. Uh, in today's college game, offensive linemen are not being developed as well. And a lot of that goes to what the rules are in college. So in the NFL, linemen are only allowed to go one yard down the field on passing plays. In college, they're allowed to go three yards down the field. So they're, they're allowed to go much further, further down the field. And what that means is that the screen game could be a much bigger part of college offenses. There's a lot more on the table when you're talking about throwing screens in college because linemen could go you know, three times as far down the field. And the screen game is all about getting your linemen down the field. So the screen game can be a much bigger percentage of your passing game in college. But as a result of that, because they're running so many more screens in college, linemen aren't used to you know traditional pass blocking sets. And I think that's a lot. I think that's really a lot of what goes into it, that they're just because they aren't getting the reps, they're not as ready to come into the NFL because this is not a recent phenomenon. This is something that's been going on for years and years in the NFL. 
I mean, I can go back. I remember even the early days of this podcast, 2016, 2017, when we first got this podcast off the ground, it was one of those things I was talking about is just the prevalence of these college offenses. It's, you know, it may, it impacts the way players are developed in a lot of ways. Now you're seeing a lot of college concepts gain mainstream acceptance in the NFL and uh, NFL offenses, but you're, I don't think their players are being trained as, as robustly, especially on the offensive line as they happen in the past. And I, I agree with you. I think that's a great point that, you know, maybe this is part of the reason scoring's down. I think part of it's that, you know, it's cyclical. You always hear about offenses are dominating all, all these designer schemes like Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. Well, it's inevitable. Defenses will eventually catch on, you know, they'll figure out ways to stop these offenses. So I think, you know, part of it, part of it's just defenses catching up to offenses and then offenses will come up with the next innovation and they'll go back ahead and defenses will catch up with them a bit. So I think that plays into it as well. But yeah, I do think the offensive line has an impact. And I think a lot of it goes back to the way college offenses are run now. They don't really train NFL players. What can the NFL do about it? I mean, I don't know. Maybe the NFL ups the college rules, you know, allows linemen to get further down the field so that the NFL teams can run more screens. I mean, I, I short of that, I and the other, I mean, the other options, and this is true across the league, the NFL could really use a developmental league. And this is true at the quarterback position. It's true in a lot of spots. I don't know why the NFL doesn't have some sort of minor league system or some sort of, you know, spring league or something like that. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to not have like a league for where players can get game reps and develop. And part of this is, you know, the way practices are run now. Teams aren't allowed to practice as intensely. And that's part of the collective bargaining agreement. It's something the, the players and owners negotiated. So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, you know, there's no one answer. I don't think that there's a solution to make practices tougher, though, because the players won't let them. And that's part of the, what the players negotiate. And it's the players' right to negotiate that. So that's another thing to think about. Anyway, ahead here on the Locked On Jets podcast, we're going to talk about this weekend's upcoming game. Jets will play the New York Giants. How big is it for the Jets? Is it a must win? Eh, not exactly. We'll talk about it more as we continue this Wednesday mailbag edition of Locked On Jets. This episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by Game Time. You should not have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and the best price guarantee, Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. It's easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. Plus, they offer their lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all the good stuff. You can see the view from your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. And you can buy tickets in seconds with two taps. I've used Game Time myself back in the summer. The end of the summer, I went to the U.S. Open. I needed last-minute tickets. It's so so easy to use. A lot of other ticket sites take you through unnecessary hurdles. Not Game Time. It's a great place to buy tickets. And with the Game Time guarantee, it means you always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or row for less, Game Time will credit you with 110% of the difference. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKDOWNNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-F-L, one word, no space, for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. This is the Locked On Jets podcast here on this Wednesday. We're doing our weekly mailbag show. Thank you so much for making this show your first listener, first watch every day. And a big shout out to everydayers. This is a daily podcast covering the New York Jets. We have new episodes Monday through Friday each day and then bonus episodes as needed. We continue with our mailbag show. Our next question, John, is Sunday's game against the Giants a must win? 
no, this game's not a must win. If the Jets lose, the season goes on. Um, it's, I think it's an important game for the Jets from a couple standpoints. Number one, we've talked about this a lot. If you're an everyday or you've heard it a lot, the Jets had to survive that first six-week stretch. Two and four minimum, three and three, that's pretty good. I mean, based on the schedule the Jets have had, get get through the first six, 500, get to the by 500. You know, that's what we were hoping for. I mean, really, I think the objective was to start this season three and three through the first six. I could have lived with two and four, but three and three, well, it's got a better ring to it. So now we're beginning the second, the, the second phase of the season, not the second half, because we're only six games into a 17 game schedule, but we're beginning the second phase. You want to get off to a good note because if the Jets lose, it could be like the start of, you know, one of those stretches where the Jets don't play well and they really do need to clean up in this this next couple of weeks because they have a real opportunity. I mean, they this team could easily if they take care of business, they could easily be 6 and 3. But in the NFL, I mean, you're always one game away from a danger zone. And if the Jets lose this game, you know, you wonder how how it plays on the team's confidence. You you know, you're always one game away from maybe some you know, people questioning what's going on. You don't, you just want to avoid it, especially when you have a winnable game in front of you. And there's also a tangible aspect to this. I think that you don't want to lose a game like this because the Giants just aren't that great of a team. I mean, they're not as bad as the Patriots. I don't think, I don't think they're as bad as Denver. I think they're more of like, you know, even though the Jets have a better record, I think they're more on the Jets level. I think they're, they're kind of like a middle of the pack kind of team, but still, I would say this is a game the Jets probably should win. And, you know, the, this AFC playoff race is very tight. It's going to stay very tight. And I feel like if you lose this game, this is one of those games that if you lose, you get to the end of the season and you miss the playoffs by one game, you're always going to look back. What are the games we should have won? And this is one of them. Now, if the Jets lose, it's not the end of the season. So I can't say it's a must win. And we use this phrase too much. I've used this phrase twice so far this year, once against Kansas City, once against Denver. I think in both cases going into the game, it was fair because the way the Jets were playing heading into Kansas City, I felt like they needed to play well. And they did play well, even though they didn't win the game. So maybe it was a must play well. I you know, I didn't I wasn't expecting the Jets to, you know, play like that and lose. So the next week against Denver was absolutely a must win. If the Jets had lost that game, I'm pretty convinced the Jets would have lost to the Eagles if they had lost to Denver. I'm pretty sure we're talking about a one in five football team. This Giants game, it's not a must win. I mean, the Jets can survive three and four. The schedule is still opening up for them. There's not a ton of games where I look at it and they say, I say that's a game that should be a loss. So I think there's still plenty of opportunity for this football team, even if they lose, but you don't want to lose. There's a difference between a game you should win. There's a difference between a game where you say, no big deal if you lose. And there's a difference between, you know, it, it, there's a difference between saying this loss would hurt and it's a must win. These are all different things. I think this is a loss that would hurt the Jets. I don't think it's the type of thing that would necessarily finish them off, though. Next question, John. I see Aaron Rodgers is making some headlines about a potential return later this season. What do you think? I'm not a doctor. Everybody I know who knows the first thing about Achilles injuries seems to be very skeptical that Rodgers is going to be able to return. I know that you know he was spotted on the field a couple of weeks ago. Uh, throwing, he was standing. Um, you know, the feedback I've heard from people who actually know this stuff suggests that you know it's one thing for him to be standing, it's another thing for him to be able to take the field with no in, a, in a, an NFL setting where you know guys are 300 pounders are going to be bearing down on you and have the have the Achilles healed enough that he's in no danger. Uh, it seems to be a lot of skepticism. Here's what I'll say: uh, you know, modern medicine's amazing. 
I mean, I've heard, I've also heard people in the nose tell me that, you know, Joe Namath, whose career was destroyed by knee injuries. If he was around today, it would be no big deal. They'd, you know, they'd take him and it'd be relatively easy to fix him up and he'd be good to go. And, you know, the second half of, half of his career would have played out differently. You know, you never rule anything out with the, I mean, the, you see some of the modern, modern advances that have been made medically, even in the, in the last couple of years, it's remarkable. I won't rule anything out, but what I will say is that I think a Rodgers return this year is not something I'm going to count on. I think if it happens, it's a pleasant surprise. I think, you know, you'll be happy to see it. You hope they would, would not rush him back too soon because that's also the danger. I remember, you know, years and years ago when I was a kid, Jerry Rice tore his ACL week one of that season. I think it was 97 and he came back before the end of the regular season. It was one of the most remarkable recoveries. I mean, Think about this. It was nineteen. It was like the mid to late nineteen nineties. So this was over twenty years ago. You know, twenty years, twenty years without advances. You know, twenty years. You know, think about the medicine. If we've had advances, think about the medicine of over two decades ago. He came back in season, but he rushed back and got in, re-injured. And Rice has since admitted that you know he should not have rushed back. So you do worry about that a little bit. But I think it's one of those things you have to view as like a pleasant surprise if it happens. And I mean, the other thing I'll say, the Jets are floating the story. The Jets are not exactly the team that has the most credibility when it comes to injury reports. The Jets have given you a lot through the years about guys they claimed were coming back who had suffered season-ending injuries. I don't need to remind you what happened with Mekhi Becton two years ago when he when they first diagnosed it. They claimed that he'd be back mid-season. I mean, I remember even going further back, and I know different coaching staff, but in 2019, C.J. Mosley suffered an injury week one against Buffalo. And they made it sound like he'd be good to go week two. He essentially missed the rest of the season. He came back for like one game a few weeks later against New England and was playing hurt and really didn't play again the rest of the season. So I think that it, I think it's unlikely based on what I know. Could Rodgers come back? Yes, but I, I, it's not something I want to count on. It's more of if it happens, it's great, but it's not something that I, it's one of those things I think it's, you have to believe it to see it. And here on the Lockdown Jets podcast, we're going to close out our show after the way he performed Sunday. People want to know about me, Cole Hardman, and why the Jets could not make it work. I'll give you some thoughts on that, continuing this Wednesday mailbag edition of Lockdown Jets. This episode of Lockdown Jets is brought to you by LinkedIn. You know, these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to make 100% so that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's easy to create a free job post on LinkedIn Jobs, then add the, the job and the purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. They have simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. Jets, when they build their roster, I don't know that they need LinkedIn jobs. They have their own scouting staff, but you probably don't have a scouting staff like the Jets do. You can use LinkedIn jobs as your scouting staff. And that's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash locked on NFL. That's LinkedIn.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. This episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. They're the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more or less than two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. So if you're a big Jets fan, you can pick 
Garrett Wilson for more than one touchdown. You can pick Brees Hall for more than 80 yards this this coming week. And PrizePix offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. PrizePix also now offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this football season. Go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL and use code LockedOnNFL for a first deposit match of up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL, code LockedOnNFL. It's one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-F-L for a first deposit match of up to $100. One more time, it's prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL, code LockedOnNFL. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on our weekly Wednesday mailbag show. Our next question Three straight years, Salah gives up on a player. Hardman do, does a great job this week for the Chiefs. Why does Salah keep doing this? Well, I'm trying to think about the other players Salah gave up on. I guess two years ago, maybe you'd say it was Denzel Mims. Maybe last year it was Elijah Moore. Um, you know, neither of those guys was very good. Mims, not really an NFL caliber receiver, if we're going to be honest. And Elijah Moore, for all of the expectations, for all of the flashes, not that great of a player. And by the way, Elijah Moore also was a guy who complained in the middle of a winning streak that he wasn't getting the ball enough and he was stormed out of practice and demanded a trade. So, you know, let's go easy. I, I think those are the other two guys Salah quit on. Hardman's kind of a weird one for me from the standpoint that I don't think Hardman's that good either, but number one, again, you know, he was losing snaps to Randall Cobb and Salah Salah's not great with the media. Salah sometimes says things to the media that don't make sense. And one of them came this week when he was asked about the Hardman trade. And he talked about how Xavier Gibson had outplayed Hardman. Well, one, Hardman was losing snaps to Randall Cobb, who might be the worst player in the NFL this year. Two, Gibson has one catch this season. So it's not like Gibson is dominating. And three, the Jets got absolutely nothing in return for Hardman. I and mean, the Jets might as well have given Hardman away. They saved less than a million dollars in cap space the return that they got draft pick wise was flopping a seven for a six. So they moved from the seventh round to the sixth round. It's not even this year, you know, it's two years down the line. So it was very odd to me that that happened. You know, sometimes you misjudge what's in your locker room. Last year, the Jets signed a pass rusher from Houston named Jacob Martin in the off season. And they brought him in to be a situational pass rusher. I think in that case, it was pretty clear. The Jets underestimated what they had in Bryce Huff. And I think like Martin was almost signed to maybe phase Huff out. Huff came out and had a great season and Huff essentially took Martin's role. And the Jets ended up trading Martin during the season. And it was one of those things where it's like, okay, you can see where this happened. Young guy outperformed the free agent you brought in. You're doing it based on merit. Hey, that's cool. We'll save a couple million dollars by trading Martin. That made sense. That's not what happened in the situation. I mean, that's you can't really say that Gibson outperformed Hardman. I guess, you know, maybe he won the return job and had that touchdown against Buffalo. But then, you know, the Jets were so skeptical. The Jets seem kind of skeptical about Gibson right now. They had Cobb returning punts against Philadelphia. I mean, that's like, if you want somebody with sure hands, you put Hardman back there, don't you? Very odd. It's almost like something that makes me believe that there were things going on behind the scenes that the Jets didn't tell us about. Because... Well, Mikael Hardman's not a great player. You know, let's let's just give the Jets the benefit of the doubt, even though they don't deserve it for this because they're playing Randall Cobb, you know, half the snaps. And Randall Cobb's their number three receiver. So the Jets don't really deserve a benefit of the doubt here, but let's give it to them anyway. Let's say it makes sense that Cobb's the number three receiver. That I really should just move on from that one because it doesn't make sense, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say, okay, Gibson's passed Hardman on the depth chart. He's the number four receiver. I mean, Hardman's still a good number five receiver. 
And it's not like it'd be one thing if you were saving a lot of money, but because of the way the contract was structured, the Jets essentially guaranteed all that money and all the money is still on the Jets cap. It's not like maybe maybe if you got a good draft pick in return, I could see it. They didn't, though. They got they barely got anything. So, you know, like Hardman's if nothing else, he's a good number five receiver. He's a guy who's at least produced at a moderate level in the NFL. Very strange. You know, I don't know exactly what happened. You know, and it makes me believe that there's more going on behind the scenes than has been mentioned because otherwise I don't see why you do it. I, it's almost like they wanted to get him out of the locker room and Hardman going to Kansas City and having a solid game, you know, doesn't exactly make the Jets look all that great if we're going to be honest. Anyway, that's all for today's episode. This has been the Lockdown Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team every day is our motto. As always, if you enjoyed the show, hit the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you never miss an episode. If you enjoy the show and are listening on the podcast source, give it a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. Helps helps us out, helps other Jets fans find the show. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. Tomorrow, we'll have our crossover Thursday show with Patricia Traina, the host of Lockdown Giants. Look forward to chatting with you then.